Welcome to the IPX True North Podcast, where we connect people, processes, and tools. Today, we have Joseph Anderson, the president of IPX, and Neil Olivier, the director of corporate services at New Scale Power. And they're going to be discussing empowering ecosystem traceability within complex regulated industries. So my name is Neil Olivier. I'm the director of corporate services at New Scale Power. Under my department and corporate services, we're a large support organization for the entire New Scale company. We have records management, document control, corporate services, corrective action program, even facilities, and then a large engineering support subsection where we support the design control process and facilitate and administrate that program. And then also the largest contingent is our product lifecycle management department, and they work closely with engineering support under design control and configuration management. So that's in a nutshell what corporate services does, and those groups are all under me. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm Joseph Anderson, the president of IPX. I want to thank Neil and NewScale for giving us the time today and for joining us. NewScale, if you don't know, is just a really, really exciting organization, revolutionary, actually evolutionary technology from a product perspective. And Neil, again, it's my pleasure, it's my honor to be able to do this podcast with you. In your opinion, from your perspective, what makes NewScale unique? So what's different is that the new scale reactor is a small modular reactor. It's the only one that has been certified by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission for deployment. And we got that in August of 2020. But what really makes it unique is that we're going to build our, our uh, reactor in, our in, in a factory. So that'll increase quality control, shorten construction schedules. And it's like nothing else in the nuclear realm right now, because most all nuclear facilities are built and fabricated on site and not in a factory, which will help us tremendously lower the cost and shorten construction times. So from a uniqueness perspective, just from a layman's term for our audience, that's basically meaning it's modular now, right? So you manufacture it all in-house. And then from a logistics perspective, it's all about setup, right? And then maintenance and serviceability. So it's not only just the manufacturing, but but now it's a mobility from a unique perspective, market perspective. And again, layman's terms, that makes it more mobile, correct? Well, it makes it a flexible design in that we're not mobile, but what we will be doing is shipping by rail or by uh, truck each module to the site and installing it on site where in previous facilities, you fabricated most of it on site. And we're changing that paradigm to where we're fabricating most of it in a quality controlled setting in a factory and then shipping to the site. And it should drive down rework. It should shorten all the construction times and lower the cost immensely because now you're producing them in a factory versus on site. And from a quality perspective, a requirements perspective, what was your introduction, NewScale's introduction to IPX and CM2, and how do you think it applies to the design, the manufacturability, and even from a logistics perspective? Where did IPX and CM2 kind of come into your view? Well, and you know how we met. That was that it was happened to be three years ago a Sim Data conference. I was exploring what a PLM system was, and at that time, I had no idea. I owned records management. I still facilitated design control. But I was looking for a new way to store records and I needed a different system. And I had read a study on PLM 
So we decided, me and a colleague decided to go to the CM or the SIM data conference. And if you remember, I was sitting next to you, you were on one side of me, my colleague was on the other, and we were discussing what was the right time to go to a closed loop change control process and a more integrated across the board change control process. And when I say that, I mean across departments, not just engineering. And we started that conversation there and started a relationship between C, IPX and NewScale. And so that really was the start of it. And then I realized how much more efficiency and gains we could get from a CM2 perspective. And so that started us down that path of, you know, hey, we really need to dig into this more than just PLM because the PLM system really was an answer to a problem I had with another records management system. And frankly, it led me to CM2. And then we started taking CM2 courses at NewScale. So we got a bunch of people qualified CM2C which was great. And then that cross-functional group, I would say not only levels, but across different departments really led us into a working group while we were you know, installing or developing our PLM platform, a fully functional PLM platform. It really drove us to retool our entire change control process under this, based on CM2. And so right now it's focused on engineering but we're looking for gains and efficiency by going, you know, expanding that beyond engineering truly to get to an enterprise change control process so that you can, you know, use it for when we're fabricating facilities, things like that. So right now we just have tip of the iceberg with engineering. Yeah. And for the audience, I absolutely do remember. I think that was just a setup question to make sure Neil remembered me and how we met. But it was a great discussion, you know, and it's what a lot of our companies face or our clients or we like to call them partners is how do you get beyond engineering, you know, and beyond quality and honestly at an enterprise and into that beyond the four walls into that ecosystem. And Neil, the one thing that's fascinated me about NewScale is this is, again, it's evolutionary nuclear reactor design and what challenges has NewScale and yourself experienced with the design, with certification requirements around this new technology? Well, I'd have to say from a support perspective, it's the sheer amount of information that needs to be, whether it be documents, data, or data sets that need to be managed and under configuration control. So while our design is, and I will you know say simpler, it's cleaner, and it's smarter, it still has to meet all the same requirements that these gigantic plants have to meet. And I know just in one subsection in the regulatory area, I think we counted 60,000 requirements or something you know, large, but all the information that backs that up needs to be managed. And up to this point, you know, before we went with a CM2-based BLM system, it was being managed in various disparate databases. And so that's really been the sheer the massive challenge is how do we get maintain configuration management control and then integrate all that information. So you get the right information to the right user at the right time. And unless you have a very well-constructed and I would say data model, but like the way CM2 is, it lays it out where data sets are processed and they're attached inside PLM, it becomes very difficult. So that's the biggest challenge we face, at least from a support perspective, because I have to administer all those support functions within NewScale. Yeah. And I think that's one thing I discussed it with you where a lot of individuals and companies and somewhat rightfully so they define PLM as a system, you know, and if anyone's talked to me, PLM has been around a long time before quite honestly, desktop computers, you know, it's about product lifecycle management from a methodology perspective. 
you know, and those complexities. And I don't know if a lot of people appreciate the nuclear sector and the requirements that are put on that industry. And if you would expand upon just that complexity, how do you define those requirements? How do you manage, or, you know, what is your vision at NewScale for definition, management, tracking, and actually associating those requirements to the actual product components and the systems? There's a lot of work there from just a requirements management perspective. Watch that overall vision for NewScale. So in the past, we have, and like other previous nuclear entities, we have documents that house all the requirements and it's all document-based. And then the requirements inside those documents flow down to, say, a system description. And then the requirements document or the system description ensures that you meet the requirements and then the engineer builds the system or designs the system based off of the system description and our system specification. And so the vision we're moving to is whether it be a regulatory requirement or it be customer requirement or a site-specific requirement, that those requirements are at the top level or decomposed inside and traceable inside the PLM system down to the component. So I'll give you a good example. That power plant that's built in, say, Louisiana at sea level functions very differently than or, or has different systems than one that's in Denver at a high altitude. And I'm not talking about inside the reactor. I'm talking about outside, how you remove heat, things like that. Those requirements need to be inside PLM for those site-specific designs for any type of variation. And they need to be decomposed down to the part level as far as you can. And then they need to be validated up the other side of the system V until you can, inside the system, trace the validation that you met a requirement all the way back to its base requirement. And so there needs to be that full traceability that's easy and to get to inside PLM. And those requirements is what the entire industry has struggled with, keeping track and managing all those requirements because there's so many. Right. So from a simplistic standpoint, you know, to regurgitate that to the wider audience, there's a lot of options and variants, right, in this industry. And I don't think a lot of people realize that when you start talking about environmental and site-specific requirements, that's an options and variants. And that kind of leads me to my next question. That Those have to be defined within the development process. So can you expand upon NewScale's current development process, maybe your vision for the future, how you're utilizing CM2 for managing the development process within the change process? Give us a little bit more insight where you can, the complexity of that, managing all of that within the development process at NewScale. Well, it starts with requirements. And I was going to add on just to touch on what you said about the massive amount of requirements that have to be managed. Our industry, historically, if you go back to the 60s when they designed the original or the first commercial power plant, nuke power plants, they designed them to a certain specification. The NRC bought off on those design requirements. And then if you remember, we had, and this is just an example We had a lot of variation in those power plants. They upgraded, they got much larger, and then people made modifications over time to make them more safe. We continually in the nuclear industry always add systems to make them more safe. If you discover a better way to do it, they'll retrofit old plants to make them more safe. Wasn't truly in the past being managed was that the requirements that were approved by the NRC, were they being met with the as-built design? And so in the late 70s, early 80s, you had a point where you took a step back and you went, I've got this as-built plant that has a lot of different systems in it that weren't in the original design. Does it still meet those design basis requirements? And 
it was tough to manage because it's all in document based. Imagine when, you know, back in the day, they backed up a truck load of information to the site and said, here you go, operator, you're going to manage it. And they'd have to connect all those dots at an engineering and an operations level manually. And so I remember this is just a few years ago when I was a control and supervisor at a power plant outside Philadelphia, they had to replace a heat exchanger that got put in in early 80s. The company that made it is, is not in business anymore. When we were in the control room, I would have to bring those systems back online. And I had an engineer who brought me a package for an, the safety related heat exchanger to bring it back online. And he did his best to look through mountains of paperwork and different requirements and make sure that the new procured heat exchanger that he got met all those requirements. But there was no simple, hey, I'm going to go in the PLM system and I'm going to look at this part and I'm going to trace back to every requirement that it needs to meet to satisfy the safety case. He had to dig through mountains of paperwork. And now it's just digital paperwork. They say they've digitized, but it's really PDFs, right? And doing a, hopefully you can do a control F search and find the name of the heat exchanger you wanted. Well, I was responsible for signing on the dotted line that this thing could go back into service and I met all the safety cases. He was responsible for digging it all up. It took me 12 hours to dig through everything that he compiled, where if you had a PLM system that tracked all those requirements and you see them too, to trace those requirements back to their highest level, it would take me an hour versus 12, right? At least. And I'd be sure even, I'm sure that we met all the safety requirements by putting that heat exchanger. It was better than the one that was before, but on paper, it's hard to trace. And it all goes back to traceability of requirements. So hopefully I answered your question a little bit. Now going forward, how are we doing things? Our goal is to create that environment. So when I turn it over to the licensee or the operator, here's all the information you need. So that operator on shift can go, okay, that piece of equipment broke. I can see every requirement it was supposed to meet. And the engineer understands exactly all the functions and requirements it was supposed to meet so he can go procure another one. And that's really what the long-term vision is, that we have that instant traceability that we turn that over. So with the traceability, expand a little bit upon the development process and the change process. What kind of communication protocols within your change process will you have with the external kind of regulatory authorities? So now you have traceability, you have everything in a system or in systems, you have real-time analysis. We all know that nuclear is heavily regulated. From a communication standpoint, how is this also going to improve the change process from a review and approval outside of a new scale, right? So now we've got a design, we've got a maybe a site improvement or a new component, what are you going to do within the change process from a communication standpoint throughout your ecosystem? So from that standpoint that we can prove that it meets the regulatory requirements, we don't want to go change with the NRC because nothing is easy to change. But what the system will do is any changes. So a good, a better example than what we would change in the design would be like, so we meet 10 CFR 50 rules by implementing a quality program. And really does our quality program support the design? Now they've bought, they've certified our design, but we built it under NQA, ASME NQA one, right? So the real, I would say benefit to CM2 is when we see a change to a regulatory requirement And how does the outside ecosystem push in? And we go, okay, now I see where everything touches. 
I know where this regulatory requirement hits in all of the pieces of the design. And that's really where we'll see the efficiency gains. Now, from a perspective of our design change and how will we communicate it with others, that's where the CM2 process will really shine, especially with vendor suppliers and the operator owner, is that we can see where one single change may drive to a customer requirement, or it may drive us to go ask for something in regulatory space, wherever. That visibility and traceability is there. And that's really where we're driving to with CM2 is make sure that our requirements are completely traceable from top tier down to part. And if we can do that, we solve 90% of the issues. Spot on. And I know I'm a nightmare for the approval teams within organizations and even my own team will tell you this for these podcasts because I always typically go off the cuff with these types of questions. But I'm trying to allow our audience to understand that this sector is extremely complex and you're not going to be able to gain all that knowledge or the insight from a complexity standpoint just from this podcast. But for me, it's fascinating to think about from development into this highly regulated industry. You're talking about, in a nutshell, in a simplistic form, creating and sustaining records. You're talking about creating and maintaining traceability. From a new scale perspective, and you touched on it a little bit, what's that really truly mean in the future about when you hear people say going paperless and getting beyond PDF, which you and I have discussed and you brought up here, what's the future hold there? Will nuclear ever truly be out of the paperless environment from a requirements perspective? Oh, I think so. We're not there yet. As you can imagine, most of the industry, 95% of the industry, they're still paper-based when it comes to managing records. Specific things around records when it comes to nuclear is that it may not be paper-based. And when I say paper-based, I mean actual paper this time. But when you talk about switching over to digital records, they're really talking about PDFs. And what the thumb rule is, I've got to be able to open up a record and in a file neutral format for like from 50 years from now. And the, I think PDFA is the standard right now. What does that mean though for data? It gets much more difficult when it comes to data. So will we truly always get away from records? I don't think so. But I think that record now is a rolled up compilation of data so that it can be retrieved later, no matter what system you're on. And that's the key, right? It's got to be formatted in a neutral format. So like what we've done so that we meet all regulatory requirements, obviously, is we've embedded some specific features in our PLM system that every time the requirement goes through its approval workflow, at the end of it, it will roll all the pertinent information from a quality perspective up and turn it into a PDFA that is then stored in our records vault, our digital records vault. That meets those requirements, but allows us to drive to a more data-centric approach at the same exact time. As our systems mature and as the industry now matures and gets toward a more data-centric model, I guess, and process, we will mature with it. But we have to put the systems in place to make sure we meet all these legacy regulatory requirements and, frankly, all the information records management requirements. And the PLM system and CM2 does that for us, right? It makes it very easy. No, absolutely. That kind of leads me to my last question, and I'm probably not going to phrase it correctly as far as how it was written for me to ask, because I want to, you know, a bookend to this podcast is getting everyone to understand. For me, PLM is much more than just a system. And when you hear companies such as NewScale talking about the need for dynamic traceability, we're talking very complex traceability. 
from a design perspective, from a PLM system perspective. For me, PLM, again, goes back to product lifecycle management. I always like to say enterprise lifecycle management because PLM's well beyond just engineering product change. What advice would you give to an organization, any size, that are implementing PLM and CM2? And why I say and CM2 is because I believe, again, if you look at PLM as a methodology, CM2 is PLM. When you look at Dash 500, the standard, or the Dash 600 tool standard, to me, CM2 is the requirements for a PLM system to actually be a proper PLM or actually empower the product lifecycle methodology. So. What advice would you give to an organization that's deploying CM2 and PLM? Well, my biggest advice would be to get people qualified CM2C. And that sounds like I'm plugging this, but the reality is you don't know what you don't know when it comes to a PLM system. And you're right, the CM2 process and that standard are the backbone for the software platform, the process in which you manage data. So from my industry, there's some specific things we have to add to meet regulatory requirements, a couple more checks inside a workflow and things like that. The basis for all of it is CM2. And that allows you to manage data in a certain way and be able to trace those requirements. If you don't have those people qualified CM2 before you start building out the system, you're in danger of driving a platform in a direction that isn't consistent with the vision you want to meet. So a good example would be is my PLM developers that I have on staff, all of them have gone through some or all of the CM2C training. And we have new people coming in and we're going to get them trained too. What I don't want is them sitting in with an engineer who needs a new process and needs access to certain data, or he's now introducing new data and not know where that goal and that end goal is and understand the CM2 process. Otherwise, he'll build something in a silo over on the side and you'll end up reworking it later. And I think it just ends up being much better product, a much better system and process from the beginning. You're going to have hiccups though. The other thing that I'm going to say is that you are not going to get it all done. It's never going to be done. Getting a system up and running, it's never going to go, I'm at the end of the rainbow. PLM nirvana just isn't there. And I've found that out painfully over the last three years that you can't get everything into the first phase. And I would say, do get your people trained in CM2 and then start the project with a manageable set of things you want to accomplish and then plan to always improve. That's the biggest thing I can take away from this. We retooled our entire engineering support department to support PLM long-term. And so we can always add functionality. I have a, lo- a line a mile long of different people in the company that want to add functionality. And I never thought we would have that. We In our old system, it was very limited. There wasn't a very good attitude about the system because we didn't have the people or the resources in place to constantly improve. We do with the new system, but there's hiccups like everything else. Just plan for those and plan to have a lot of people who are educated in CM2 and understand your PLM system to add functionality. I think you'll succeed. Those are all great points that many of, I know you and I have talked about over the years, you know, and for me, it's, you know, for our audience, you know, to kind of summarize what Neil just said, and there was a lot of powerful statements there. We've seen a lot of clients get it wrong. One, your system could either empower good processes or they could speed up bad processes, which means you're just going to get data out the door faster. That's not correct, which means eventually you're going to have a quality uh, escape regardless of your industry. 
The other one is manage things in phases and understand it's a continual process. And I have a big proponent of the word continual over continuous. Continuous means you never monitor, you never stop. It's just continuously going around. Continual means you have the correct phases, you monitor, and then you go again. I like to say rolling top five, right? What are those rolling top five priorities that we need now? And as you achieve a priority, you bump one up into the list. But again, having digestible requirements and phases. The nice thing you're hearing with from what Neil stated is the users want more now. And that's exactly the behavior you want to see. And that is one of the leading indicators that your first go live of that system deployment was successful, right? Because you didn't give your users food poisoning. They like what they're seeing. Now they want more, but you have to manage that in digestible chunks. But Neil, I want to say, I know our time's coming up. I want to say thank you again to yourself personally for making the time, but also to NewScale. And for those of you that haven't heard anything about NewScale, I highly recommend you researching this company. We didn't spend a lot of time discussing the technology. It's fascinating. It really is. And I think it's the future when you're talking about sustainable energy, you're talking about the future, the evolution of energy production management. This company's fascinating. This organization's fascinating from how it started to where it is today. So again, Neil, thank you for your time. New Scale, thank you for allowing Neil to participate. I hope we could have continual discussions, a few more podcasts if I didn't mess things up too much with uh, going off the cuff with my questions. But again, thank you to the entire team. And that's a wrap. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe and review the show. And for more information on IPX, visit ipxhq.com.